Hey, thanks for tuning in to Growing in Grace Together. I'm Joel Brzezinski. Normally, of, co- of course, i got my co-host Mike Kapler with me, but I like to do this other thing, too, where I spend a little bit of time with uh, somebody who... Um, you know, has a focus on grace or, uh, you know, God's love. And uh, the person that I'm talking with today is Lucas Miles. And I'm glad to have you here with me today, Lucas. Super excited to be here. I appreciate that, Joel. Now, uh, we talked before, uh, maybe a, a couple of years ago or so, uh, we talked about how uh, you are a pastor and president of the Oasis uh, Church Network. Did I that name that right? Yeah. And, um, so uh, people can go back and listen to that. I'll put a link to those, that past conversation that we had. Uh, you're also a writer, a speaker, a life coach, a film producer, and, of course, a pastor, like I said. So uh, as a film producer, uh, what kind of—you've uh, you, recently worked with Kevin Sorbo and, and some other people. How is that uh, working out with you for you? Uh, it's been awesome. So our, our first movie um, that my company, Miles Media— uh, released is uh, called Rodeo Girl, and I was partnered on that uh, with another producer named Joel Reisig, and um, uh, starring Kevin Sorbo, and just was an awesome uh, uh, experience. It's a family-friendly uh, movie about a horse and a girl, and kind of reconnecting with her her estranged father, and really finding um, uh, you know a deeper relationship through through rodeo, and um, you know it's got, I got to spend a month on a on a horse ranch and riding horses and hanging out with Kevin and you know the rest of the cast and crew and it was uh, it was just a really great time so that just released in January it's available in Walmart uh, Redbox I think it hits Netflix in June uh, you know Amazon and iTunes all those things ah, that's what I'm I've not seen yet but I'm looking forward to seeing that movie uh, as many people of course know Kevin Sorbo well I do Kevin from uh, from uh, the 90s of course as Hercules and, absolutely uh, <laughs> the TV series and then uh, God's not dead he appeared in that. And uh, rodeo girl now. So this is this. That's uh, sounds like a really awesome project. Well, this book, this book that you've written, God, or a good God. Now uh, we'll talk about, of course, what goes on in the book. But what, what was stirring in you? You know, how did this mm-hmm. book come about? What was going on inside of Lucas Miles that said this book needs to be written? You know, Joel, it's um, as I, you know, as a pastor, and I've been pastoring for. Uh, it's been almost uh, 20 years since I first started preaching, uh, which is hard to believe now. But hmm. um, as a as a pastor, I I've seen so many people struggle with trying to harmonize the God of the Old Testament with the person that they see in Christ, and and also you know trying to make sense of okay if God is really good then why do all these bad things happen? And I talk about this a little bit in the book, um, you know, but even in my wife and I's life, we've had, um, you know, she and I have both had heart surgery. Um, uh, hers was open heart. Uh, mine was a little bit uh, more minor than that. And uh, we also, you know, lost uh, lost our, what would have been our first child to miscarriage. Hmm. And, you know, those are, those are experiences that I think a lot of times people will – will over-spiritualize and will, uh, a word that I, I think I may have made up, religiousize um, mm-hmm. these things to, you know, just kind of find a reason to have a box to put tragedy in. And somehow it makes it better when it's like, well, this happened for God did this, or it was some divine purpose. And, you know, we don't like the idea of things just happening or senseless tragedy. And, and you know, but in that, what I 
what I really saw is that we were actually blaming God. And, you know, one quick story kind of, I guess, setting up the book. I had uh, um, after our miscarriage, you know, we our church and friends and family, I mean, they just all responded with, you know, just so much compassion. And, and you know, they were just all rooting for us that, you know, um, you know, for our child and everything. And, and so when it happened, you know, we just had people coming by the house all the time and just wanting to bless us. And, you know, I had multiple people come by and, you know, not not even necessarily from our church, but from, you know, just other friends. And their response a lot of times would be, well, you know, hey, I just want you to know why this happened, you know, you know, and it, it would be things like, well, God needed another angel or, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, your child was so loved that God just needed them with them right now, you know, and they were so special and he just couldn't wait to have them. And, you know, and I understand that those things might sound great on a Hallmark card, but at the end of the day, what we're really saying about God is he's a baby snatcher, mm-hmm. you know, or, uh, you know, that, uh, uh, you know, and you see the same thing in, in accidents and hurricanes where we create this spiritual doctrine about why tragedy happens. But if we really look at what that says about God, if God were a person, he'd be arrested for the things that religion says that he does. Yeah. Yeah. I've, you know, I've I've heard a lot of what you're talking about. I, you know, a few years ago, I heard the story of a, a man who got in a motorcycle accident. And uh, the question that people were asking him... It, totally different from your experience that the question people are asking well what what sin is in your life you know implying mm. that god had caused that to happen or you know that that earthquake happened or that tsunami happened as a wake up mm-hmm. call from god uh, god put this sickness on me uh because he wanted to get the glory you know when he healed me you know that type of thing and that right. is, is what you're saying then in this book is that's kind of a a, not a very good view of God, and it, it makes people afraid of God and uh, probably afraid to embrace him, don't you think? Absolutely. And, you know, what I really tried to do in this book is show that God is good really all the time. You know, we say that mm-hmm. a lot in, in churches across America. You know, God is good all the time. All the time God is good. Mm-hmm. But then when you start looking at the doctrine that's behind, you know, a lot of our thinking, it doesn't always seem like God is good all the time because it seems like you know, he has the power to fix everything, but he doesn't, and that we are, um, you know, that brings confusion. And honestly, I think that, uh, you know, that really more than anything, it is a misunderstanding of Scripture that leads people to a, what I would call a less than good version of God. And, you know, you mentioned this idea of stuff happening in our lives, you know, because of sin or tragedy happening because of sin. And, the uh, you know probably one of the places that I see that um, you know the most is in John is in John nine you know where Jesus was asked basically who sinned this man or his parents you know that this man was born blind and you know in the NIV Jesus responds and says neither this man nor his parents sinned but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed to him and I talk about in my book that you know there there's no punctuation in Scripture. You know, in the mm. Greek language, there's zero punctuation. And so I, I'm not forever changing the words of the Bible or, you know, just kind of getting creative with, with Scripture in, in that sense. But I think that we need to understand the context and, and see if we see something that doesn't line up with who Christ is. You know, we have to, we have to look deeper in there. So I spent some time in the original language here, and I, I, I interviewed, um, you know, linguists and scholars and kind of working on this book. And I, I really tried to create a book that is, is both, um, it, it will appeal to somebody uh, with an academic mind or, or a pastoral mind, but it's also a book that you can hand your plumber or your, you know, your next door neighbor or your, your friend that you go to the baseball game with or whatever that is, and that they would, you know, really get something out of it. And so 
you know, in this passage, Jesus's answer is neither this man nor his parents sin, but this happens so the works of God might be displayed in him. And, you know, if you read this same, the same way, but you just move the period, you know, Jesus's answer is neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened. And then he goes, um, you know, period. So that the works of God might be displayed in him, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. And then he goes on to heal the guy. So Jesus is basically saying that, look, this, this just happened. You know, it's not because of sin. This just happened. But since this happened, and so that God's work might be displayed in his life, we have to continue to do the works of God, and that is to heal the sick. And, you know, it's the same words. It's the same, you know, original language. And, and it's simply a shift of the period. And all of a sudden, it takes Jesus from placing sickness on somebody because of, you know, uh, for God's glory to showing that God's glory is revealed and healing the sick, if that makes sense. Yeah, so God, you know, it's, well, I guess the, uh, the old Christian comedian Mike Warnke used to say, he had, I think he had an album called Stuff Happens. And so mm-hmm. st- stuff happens, it does happen, but it's not because God's causing it, but it's because stuff does happen in this world. And then, after that happens, God can be seen coming in and healing and bringing uh, comfort and restoration, Absolutely. but it's not that he's doing it. Uh, so the, the question that comes up that for a lot of people then is, is why do these things happen? Why, why, why does God allow, uh, as, as some people might ask, uh, uh, why does he allow bad things to happen? You know, um, my, my typical response to that is that, that, and that God doesn't allow bad things to happen, mm. which sounds like a really stupid statement because people are like, have you, you know, would you wake up and turn on the news? There's bad stuff that happens every day. And I get that. But I believe that God does not cause bad things, and I believe that he does not allow bad things to happen in the sense of this idea of sovereignly deciding, you know, should I allow this to happen in Lucas's life or should I not allow this to happen in Lucas's life? Mm-hmm. I don't believe that's ever a thought in God's mind. I believe that God, because of his love for us, has allowed life. He's allowed free will. He allowed the garden. And and because he loves us and because he has, you know, created us with dominion on this earth and the ability to uh, choose life or choose death, we have the uh, express opportunity to be able to screw things up. <laughs> and, you know, people say, well, why did God even have to put the tree in the garden to start with? And, you know, the reason the tree is in the garden is because love always gives a choice. You know, if God would have just created us in a vacuum and, you know, had us sitting there and, you know, with no other option but choosing him, you know, we're not much better than the, the hamster in, you know, your, you know, your son or daughter's room, you know, in the cage. I mean, you just, where else are you going to go? But when you give us a choice, that, that, that tree became a catalyst for us to have the option on whether or not we would choose God or whether or not we wouldn't. And in doing so, it actually was the greatest form of love Mm -hmm. because he gave us freedom. And that choice opened up the door for a heck of a lot of other choices. And God was, you know, I'll say it this way, nature was sending hurricanes to, um, you know, uh, New Orleans long before anybody ever moved there. But we're the ones that decided to set up shop. We're the ones that decided to have, you know, faulty levees and, you know, these sort of things. You know, God had nothing to do with that. And I think that so often we we look to God for these tragedies when in actuality, you know, he's not the author of these things. He's the author of life. 
And, you know, but we have we have played a major part in the outcome and where we're at. And uh, I can talk a little bit more about that later. But that, that's at least, a, a, a you know, hopefully somewhat of a concise version of that. Yeah, sure. I mean, this this understanding or this this thinking that God is the cause or the source of our problems. I mean, that's a big thing in people. Uh, it's it's something that causes people to, uh, you know, if they if they see that, OK, there's this God out there somewhere and uh, when we aren't living according to his will or we aren't doing things right then he's going to come in and do these things and it, it keeps us from understanding like what you're talking about this good god this god who is good all the time how do we get to that place where we can in the church today disconnect these bad happenings these things that happen to people from the idea that god is causing them are there scriptures that we can look at? Are there um, just mindsets that we can change about God? Uh, does God tell us differently than, I mean, of course he does, but what, what does God tell us about himself that would help us to change our mindsets? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that God has gone to great lengths to show us who he is. And, you know, we have this this word um, glory in Christianity that we talk about a lot. You know, but that word is also used in the world as well, you know, and kind of in a slang term. And, you know, if you uh, you accidentally, you know, walk in on uh, grandma while she's using the bathroom, you might shut the door real fast and go, oh, I just saw grandma in all her glory, <laughs> you know, or, uh, you know, we, we kind of and what do we mean by that? What we mean is we saw the fullness of who she is. <laughs> and and, you know, that's really what glory means in the greek it's doxa it's the express you know nature or the the fullest extent of of who someone is and you know in in exodus 33 moses goes to the lord he's been following him for you know for a, a long time now but he goes lord i know you know who i am and you keep saying you know who i am but who are you you know you just you're just a voice out of a bush like i don't even know you he says show me your glory you know or show me the full nature of who you are who am i following and God responds with a really interesting thing. He says, uh, "He says Moses, I'm going to have all of my goodness pass before you. So God's glory from his mindset, his, his deepest nature was expressed in his goodness towards man. And I think we see that throughout the scripture. And I think you actually have to go out of your way to misinterpret the words of, uh, of, of the Bible in order to end up with a God who is less than good, but certainly religion has found a way to do that. And, you know, and it, it's just like the enemy that, um, you know, we see this even with the temptation of Christ. He, used, he uses the word, he twists it in order to try to bring about deception. And I think that's been done. So it, as I wrote this book, Good God, there's there's kind of two ways to approach a topic. You can either find all the passages that agree with what you're saying and then focus on those. Or you can look at all the passages that that people would perceive that don't agree with what you're saying, kind of like the, yeah, but what about this, you know, passages. And I really tried to choose the second. I tried to go in there. Obviously, we can all think of a lot of passages that show that God's good. But the problem is, what about the ones that we feel like that don't? And so if we're saying that God is really good all the time, how do we make sense of, you know, discipline and testing? How do we make sense of, you know, the book of Job? How do we make sense of, of things like, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah and, and these things? How do we really deal with that from, from a true understanding that God's nature and his 
person is always good and his intentions are always good. So that's really where I tried to go in the book and I tackled some some pretty hard stuff. And so I'm, I'm super excited for, you know, just the world to, uh, you know, have a chance to read this. And, and especially, you know, with our audience here, Joel, the, the greater grace community of people, I think this is a book that they can get their hands on that is going to empower them as they are ministering to people. The, a lot of us have an we have a um, a practical grace, but our theological grace at times struggles, and you know we don't always have the answers that people are asking. And I think this is a book that can help give those answers and and really help you walk through um, showing people that God is good all the time. You know, truly. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. I mean. Uh a lot of these questions come up a lot, and I think a lot of people are wondering, how how do I handle these situations when, when people don't think that God is good, when they look at all these tragedies, when they look at these things? And so in your book, you, uh, a person would be able to pick up your book and gather together some information that would help them uh, to discuss the goodness of God mm-hmm. with other people? Absolutely. And, you know, I, what I didn't intend the book to be was an arsenal, um, you sure. know, in a negative mm-hmm. way. I mean, I think that there are um, massive tools and resources in this book to be able to help walk people through some of the more troubling passages of Scripture that are harder to understand and have them, you know, become clear and, and, you know, much more uh, simple and those things and showing God's grace and goodness. But, you know, obviously it's it's not intended just to be, you know, uh, to help you win an argument or, right. or those kind of things. I think that, you know, the heart behind it is really just to help people to minister to those around them who are struggling to see, you know, God's goodness or maybe have gone through tragedy. And, and that's the thing that I'm seeing a lot with this book is people are doing pre-orders and calling me and, you know, writing me. Is I, We're just having so many people that go, hey, I just had a friend that went through this or my friend just lost their husband in a car accident or my friend just went through a miscarriage and I just, you know, I just ordered them a copy of your book. And, you know, one guy just called me the other day. He goes, I just ordered 10 copies of this book and you know I, I can't wait to give it to all these people you know that that have been going through things and that we're surrounded with and you know I, I think it's a great resource for helping to heal people that have mistakenly thought in the past that God was the source of their pain right and that's excellent that's awesome the Christian community and as well as the the grace community really needs these words. I, I think that, that it will be very, so very helpful for people. Now, you had talked about uh, some of these difficult passages, uh, not to not to dwell upon these, but some questions that come up. I've had these questions in the past, and maybe some people listening. It, it's just the type of thing that we, it, it, the type, a person wants to think that God is good, but then they do see these uh, these verses, and they question, for you know, for example, uh, where Hebrews, where it talks about how God chastises or disciplines those he loves, or James, consider it pure joy when you go through trials. Do you address that in the book, and, and what, what kind of uh, thoughts do you have regarding those? I do. I actually address um, both of those, and uh, they are in a, a chapter called Wisdom and Foolishness, and the subtitle of that is The School of Hard Knocks. And um, I deal, you know, with the book of Job quite a bit. It's kind of the backbone uh, of the book as well, which I think is one of the sort of the trump cards on the, um, uh, you know, sometimes God is going to put bad things in your life uh, sort of doctrine. But, you know, you mentioned this passage in Hebrews, and, you know, it, it's interesting. When you when you look at this, you know, it's Hebrews 12, and in uh, in starting in verse uh, 4, I believe it is, it says, "...in your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood." 
And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? And it says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. So, and I'll, I'll keep going here, but the the thing, the first thing that I tell people when you read this passage is it calls it a word of encouragement, okay? Mm-hmm. I don't know how a doctor telling you uh, surprise, you have cancer, you know, is ever a word of encouragement. Right. Um, but yet we have Christians that are writing books called, you know, how to embrace your cancer and, you know, um, you know, goofy things like that, trying to over spiritualize and kind of personify or, or deify tragedy, sickness, illness. And they're missing, they're missing the point. And I think that we embrace Christians really become impotent because we embrace bad things thinking that they're from God when in actuality, we're supposed to be resisting the devil. So he'll flee from us. And so, you know, the first thing God's, God's kind of chastisement should be encouraging. You know, it should be something that, that you feel like he is a father to a son. Mm -hmm. And, and he says, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. And, you know, I don't know how you can make light of cancer or car accidents or children dying. You can't make light of You don't have to tell anybody, don't make light of death. What you do have to right. tell people don't, not to make light of is when you go to your, your child and you say, hey, I want to have a talk with you. You know, I care about you and I really don't want to see you go on this path. And the, the kid kind of just snickers and doesn't take it seriously. And you go, look, I'm serious. I want you to listen to this. This is important. You know, the things that people make light of a lot of times are, are things that it, it, they, you know, they have to choose to listen to. And that's how God's rebuke is. It is, you know, his main rebuke or his main discipline or chastisement of us is his word. Okay. And we see that, you know, really throughout, you know, this passage, he calls God's discipline a rebuke. A rebuke is a verbal um, uh, form of discipline. It has nothing to do with any sort of physical punishment. Um, he also says um, this word, he says he, and he punishes everyone or he chastens everyone that he accepts as a son. And um, if, uh, if I remember correctly, that is, that is pulled from that word. Uh, it's a Greek word that means to train up a child so they can mature and realize their full potential. Hmm. Okay to train up a child so that they can uh, mature and realize their full potential. It's the same root that was used when talking about Moses being educated in Egypt. You know, that he had this royal education, and that is what raised him up so that he became a man of, you know, power in words and deeds as he learned all of the, uh, uh, you know, the skills and the knowledge of the Egyptians. And, you know, he says um, this concept here, you know, for things like, you know, losing your job, cancer. I mean, it, it, those those aren't they're not funny. You don't make light of those. But it's so easy for us to ignore God's word and his instruction. You know, when our Bible sits on our nightstand and we choose not to pick it up, you know, I can just hear the Lord saying, don't make light of my words in here. They're for you. You know, they're they're here for you. They're they're here to instruct you, you know, and teach you. Even when we see Jesus return, you know, in Revelation, what what happens? It says a sword comes out of his mouth. Mm-hmm. You know, his word and his rebuke and his discipline are always from his, his he is the word of God. And there is nothing that is more disciplining than the word. And if we would submit to it, you know, we could receive it. And the thing that I always tell people, the difference between discipline and abuse is discipline you have to choose to receive. So if God just comes in and gives you sickness or takes away your job or make you bankrupt, you know, or whatever that is, you're not asking for that and you are not, you are not receiving that. That just happens to you. 
But mm-hmm. discipline, and, and so from that standpoint, if that were God, it would be abuse. And I know that God doesn't abuse his children. But discipline is something, you know, I can remember, I can remember the last time as a kid I got a spanking, okay? And I was old enough that I probably could have taken my mom, you know, if I needed <laughs> to in a, in a wrestling match. But, you know, it was kind of that final time, and she goes, you know, basically, you know, you're in trouble, you're going to get a spanking. You know, and so going through that, I had to choose to submit in order to receive the discipline. And that is really what it is when it comes to the Lord, that we have to choose to hear his word, uh, to receive what he's saying. And I break this down in the book, and I I dive into that passage in in Hebrews 12 with, you know, a lot more detail. But, you know, for the sake of, you know, overview here for the podcast, you know, hopefully that helps us get a picture that God's discipline is, is, uh, it is word-based, you know, because he's our spiritual father and not physical-based because he's not our physical father. Right, and, and that's that's so important to, to understand, that spiritual versus, the, you know, something physically happening to us, and, and also the fact that discipline comes from our, our father, and it comes yeah. out of out of love. It's not because he's he just wants to, he just, you know, lightning bolt, he just wants to strike us because we've done something. It's because he, he's always looking out for our good. So not only is he good, but he wants things to happen for our good, and that's why he would, uh, through his word, teach us and and share good things with us, so that we can so that we can grow, so that we can learn, so we can understand his goodness even more. Absolutely, and you know the the um, the proverb that is quoted in this passage that it says, "My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline; do not lose heart when he rebukes you." And you know he he because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. That comes from Proverbs chapter three. And the whole, you know, all of Proverbs chapter 3, it starts by saying, My son, do not forget my teaching, and but keep my commands in your heart. They will prolong your life uh, many years and bring you prosperity. And then he goes on talking about us trusting in his word, and he says, Do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke, because he disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. Blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding. And and so the whole, you know, the whole context of this, and the writer of Hebrews knew this. They knew that. But the problem is, we read this passage and we never go back to where this quote is from. Hmm. If you went in context to where this quote is from, and you, you would see instantly that it is referring to the Word of God coming into our life to teach and instruct us, and never tragedy or hardship. That is never a concept in this entire passage. And so um, then the idea of trials, uh, consider it joy when you go through trials. I know that you talk about that word trials, and uh, I know you go into the the original language with that as well, too. Could you, you know, people who are talking about, because I, <laughs> I hear this all the time, I'm going through this trial, God's putting me through this trial, <laughs> uh, and it's, I think that's a great misunderstanding of, of this good God that we have. Yeah, you know, uh, I like what Joseph Prince says, you know, he talks about, uh, you know, the, the verse where it says, you know, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you know, you are there. And, you know, it doesn't it doesn't say that God led you through the valley of the shadow of death. It says that I chose to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You know, even when I choose to walk in the valley, you know, God still God still goes with me. You know, he's still there. And, you know, in this passage in James that you brought up, this is this is one of my favorites, because I think it's so eye opening when you really look at it and you understand what's happening there. You know, here is a passage that is often used to prove that God gives trials and temptations into our life. But in actuality, I believe that James was intending for this passage to be the exact opposite and to show us that God would never give trials and temptations into our life. 
Uh, and I can talk about, I do believe that there's a thing called God's kind of testing, that, that is kind of my terminology for it. And so I can talk about, you know, what that maybe looks like in, in contrast to this, to somebody that's kind of, you know, trying to sort through this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that's detailed in the book as well. But, you know, it says in, in verse 2 of chapter 1 of James, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So if you just... And it says, let perseverance finish its work so you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So if you just read that first verse, it would seem like that trials are from God for the purpose of producing perseverance. Okay? Mm -hmm. And he goes on, and as you go in this passage, just a few verses down, he says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. So he changes from talking about trials to talking about temptation. And, and he says, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and, and enticed. And then he says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Now, the amazing thing about this passage, and I think it's, if I can remember correctly, the King James is one of the only translations that, that actually recognizes this. And I mostly teach out of the NIV, though I'm probably harder on the NIV than I am other translations. Mm-hmm. Um But uh, in the original language, the word here for trial is the exact same word, okay, for when it says temptation. Hmm. So in in English, it appears like he changes subjects. But in the Greek, if you read this in the original language, and that word in, in Greek essentially means trial, temptation, or testing. Okay, so I do, uh, you know, what I would call a, a plug and replace, kind of like how the Amplified gives, you know, additional meaning, right. you know, to to words. And so basically, what he says is, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trial, temptation, or testing of many kinds, because that you know that the trial, the temptation, and testing of your faith produces perseverance. And then he says, you know, he goes on, he says, but when tried, tempted, or tested. No one should say, God is trying, tempting, or testing me. For God cannot be tried, tempted, or tested by evil, nor does he try, tempt, or test anyone. But each person is tried, tempted, and tested when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And then he says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. And so basically what he's saying is, look, when life happens to you, get excited. Because it's an opportunity to show how strong your faith is and how how good your God is. Mm. But when life happens, don't fall into the temptation of thinking that God is the one bringing these things to you just to show how strong he is. You know, and and that that it would be—I talk about in the book—it would be like a New York City police officer planting a bomb only to be the one later to discover it. So that he could be the hero. Yeah. <laughs> you know, is is that really how God is? That he gives problems just so he can get the glory when the problem is solved? You know, we would put somebody like that in jail. But yet religion has time and time again said that that is the character and the nature of God. And I say that they're wrong. Yeah, it's, it's just amazing if we will really look at these passages in their full, I mean, a lot of times we'll just rip out a little verse or two here and there, and then like you're doing, they're looking at the original language and showing that in the fullness of the, the passage, it's showing how good God is. It's showing that, yes, we run into stuff in this life. Stuff happens, and it's uh, it's not always the most pleasant uh, of, of, of things that happen to us, and some downright horrible things happen to us. But through it all, God's not causing that, but he is with us through it all. He heals, he restores, he helps. So uh, what about uh, 
we've talked about some of these hard passages. Um, just just the general idea that God does heal, God restores, God's with us. Mm-hmm. What are some words of hope and encouragement that you would have uh, for people listening uh, in regards to the, the general idea of God being good and with us? Absolutely. I think that, um, you know, one of the things that I encourage people to do, you know, as they finish this book is to really resolve to stop blaming God for any negative circumstances in our lives and to take ownership of the part that we've played in really creating, you know, our current reality. And, you know, as we talk about God's goodness and we talk about why bad things happen, you know, if you don't li- if you know if you don't read the whole book if you don't go through all of it and i think if you get to the end you see that this is not the case at all that i would ever suggest but it might be easy for somebody just to hear you know a, a snippet of this podcast and go well is that guy saying well if it's not god's fault it must be my fault and and then that brings condemnation on us and you know we also know that that scripture very clearly says that there are no there is no condemnation you know for those that are in christ jesus and so I, I try to bring an awareness of personal responsibility and think a lot of bad things happen in our lives that have nothing to do with us, you know, and that's uh, that, you know, seen in that passage in John that we looked at earlier. But when things happen, it is actually an empowerment for me to recognize that God is not the cause of them. Hmm. See, because if God was the one doing these things to us, then what hope would we have of overcoming them? You know, right. I mean, if, you know, if, if God's against us, man, we're in trouble. But if God is actually for us, as Scripture says, then who can be against us? And what that does is it changes my mindset from that of a victim to that of a victor. And, and it allows me to be empowered and to go, God, if you're on my side, I'm going to trust you to give me the steps to lead me through so that I can walk on a path of peace. And, you know, I see, I mean, there's so much, you know, in Scripture just that reveals God's goodness and, you know, his heart for his people and the fact that he is constantly with us. I, you know, I, th- I think God is constantly broadcasting to our hearts, you know, like the, like the old-fashioned televisions that, you know, some of your listeners, if they're old enough, would remember, you know, where you had to kind of walk over the TV and turn the dial and there'd be all the white <laughs> static and then eventually you'd land on the station. And, you know, God is constantly broadcasting. You can turn off that television, you can turn it to the wrong, you know, signal, but the, that, that network is still broadcasting that television, you're just not tuned in. And if we would take the time to actually tune in to what God is saying, we would get a clear signal every single time, we would realize that he's constantly speaking truth and love and peace to our hearts, and we would be able to walk in the path that he's given us, and I believe overcome many of the obstacles of this life. I, I believe, and this is, this is Lucasology, Okay, (laughs) that when we get to heaven, God will have to supernaturally wipe away our tears because we will have a picture of what our lives could have been like Mm. if we actually would have trusted him every step of the way. And we will see, you know, versus the outcome of what we actually had. And, you know, I think God is 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 available and there for us every second. And I think we miss it so often because we either question his heart, we question his intentions, or we just simply don't know how good he really is. Yeah, see, I like how you're saying that because it's so, it is such, it's so opposite to what a lot of people here uh, will, will preach because you do hear it taught that, you know, we need to be tuned more into God, but it's usually in a in a condemning kind of a way. It's in like a, you need to get in your word, and you need to do this, and uh, you need to listen to God, and he's going to convict you of your sin, and he's going to tell you what to do. Whereas what I hear you saying is God is so good, and he so wants, he's all, like you say, he's always 
reaching out to us. He's always communicating in mm-hmm. communication with us, and, and and it's a good thing. He wants us to tune into him because he's so good to us. He longs for us to know his goodness and his love, and his mercy. Absolutely, you know the. Um and this is something I deal with too. In, in 1 Corinthians 13, you know, we have this passage that love is patient, love is kind, you know, uh, does not envy, does not boast. And we also see in 1 John 4 that God is love. So, you know, what we've done in the past is we've made 1 Corinthians 13 all about marriage. And in context, you know, Paul's not talking anything about marriage. Right. It's a great, it's a great goal for your marriage that that's how you would love your spouse. But, you know, it is, uh, it's not really a passage about marriage. I believe it's a passage about God. And so, you know, if you put God in there, God is patient, God is kind, God does not envy, God does not boast, you know, and eventually you get to God is not self-seeking. And that goes so in the face of, of you know, the way that uh, religion has, has what the religion has taught us about God, that God is kind of this always after his glory, you know, and you see that from so many people, you know, but, but really God's love, what that means, since God is love, that he would never bring pain and heartache to his children in order to bring glory to himself. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, so as we see that, um, and really that God's glory, you know, God doesn't bring glory just for the sake of glory. His glory is, as we looked at with Moses, his glory, the purpose of his glory is to be good towards us. And so that's where his glory is most seen. You know, we are the audience for his glory, and, and it is exemplified in him showing his goodness towards us, not just showing it out to the heavens. And, you know, so, you know, as you, as you look at this and, you know, you, uh, I, I love the end of the book of Job and, you know, we probably don't have time to go through, you know, the, you know, 42 chapters of Job to make sense of it, which I, I do um, surprisingly in a single chapter in the book. But uh, as you look at the book of Job, Job, it ends with, you know, Job said all these things about God, you, you know, he gives and takes away, you know, God's doing, he's not just in doing this to me, you know, I'm sinless and why, you know, why is he acting this way? I mean, he's just got all these kind of attitudes and questions and self-righteous things that he presents to God. And Finally, after God shows himself to Job, Job responds and he says, My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you, and I repent in sackcloth and ashes. And it says that Job and all three of his friends were rebuked for not speaking what was true about the Lord. And mm-hmm. I think that that's the place that a lot of Christians have been, is that we've been saying things about God simply because we didn't know any better. And we have wrongly accused him of the problems and the pain in our life. And if we would really see him as he is, and as the scripture shows us clearly, we would recognize that we might have heard of him in the past, but now when we see him, we recognize that he is so much better than we ever thought he was, and that, you know, that, we, that would draw us in, and he would offer compassion and consolence for us rather than judgment and condemnation. Mm, indeed. May many, many more people come to see this, and, and, and people who have a glimpse of God's goodness and love, you know, see it all the more. Well, the book is called Good God, the one we want to believe in but are afraid to embrace. Now, when does the book come out, uh, Lucas? Uh, it comes out in March, is that right? Yeah, the, so the book releases uh, March 8th, and it'll be available um, nationwide, brick and mortar, Barnes & Noble, Family Christian, those things. They can also order it through Amazon, um, you know, christianbooks.com, or they can visit my website, uh, lucasmiles.org, uh, or our network website, which is oasnet.org. Okay, and uh, that book can be pre-ordered right now, is that right? That is correct. Yeah, it can be pre-ordered. And, uh, you know, we're actually, my publisher and I, we're making a run for uh, some pretty major bestseller lists. And so, uh, uh, you know, I I would love to see, um, 
you know, this book and really the message of this book, you know, become something that is just really accessible, you know, across this country and, and just gain some popularity because, I, you know, our goal is to really change the way the, this nation and the way, the way this world sees God. And so we appreciate everybody partnering, you know, in doing so and helping us uh, get this book to the masses. Excellent. Uh, one more time on the websites. I, I'll include them on the webs on my own website, but just in, for people listening, lucasmiles.org. That's L-U-C-A-S-M-I-L-E-S.org. And then uh, what was the other one? OASNet? Yeah, it's OASNet. It's O-A-S-N-E-T dot org. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much again, Lucas. It's been uh, just a joy and a pleasure talking with you as it was the last time, and I hope we can do this again. Thank you so much, Joel. I appreciate you guys having me on. Oh,